0: You're listening to the N2K Space Network.
1: This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past.
0: Welcome to T-minus Deep Space. I'm Maria Varmazas, host of the T-minus Space Daily podcast. Deep Space includes extended interviews and bonus content that takes a deeper look into some of the topics that we cover on our daily program. We hope you enjoy. Today, I'm speaking with two people for my interview, Timor Davis, director at Munich Re-Ventures, and Peter Ortez, principal at Munich Re-Ventures. So let's start off with an introduction to what Munich Re-Ventures is and what it does, with Peter Ortez answering first.
2: Munich Re-Ventures is the corporate venture arm of Munich Re, which is a large global reinsurer and and insurer. And our goal as a CVC is to go out and invest in companies and technologies that are impacting the broader risk transfer space. One of those areas that Munich Re is quite active in is the insurance of space assets. So insuring launch vehicles, insuring stuff in space is a key area of uh, activity that Munich Re operates in and is one of the leaders in that sector. And so as investors at MRV, we are looking quite broadly in a bunch of different topics, and one of those topics is, is space. And our investment thesis really centers around what's coming next for the space industry, If we think back a few years, we we can look to the, you know, Leo revolution as sort of a huge topic that pushed the economics of space in a different direction. And for the space insurance industry, Munich Re was, instead of having to think about, instead of insuring, you know, $100 million spacecraft, you know, maybe we're insuring $100 million spacecraft. And so it's things like that that we want to think about you know, with respect to what are the new technology changes disrupting the current space industry as we know it. And so our our current investment thesis has really centered around what we're calling the in-space economy. The idea of companies that are, you know, doing space-based services for space-based applications, as opposed to what we've seen, you know, in this robust first wave of, of the new space revolution In companies that are doing space based services that ultimately have their direct customers, you know, as a user on earth, whether that's for earth observation or communications or things like that. So, so the goal is in space for space. Um, and we're looking at a lot of these technologies such as refueling life extension as, you know, key questions and key interesting topics that, you know, the insurance industry down the road will have to and and should be excited to address.
3: Yeah. I'll, I'll just add a couple of quick things. On the insurance topic, what's really interesting is that, you know, historically, space insurance has been similar to the space industry itself, right? Very sort of one-off, exquisite products with very specific applications that are very expensive. Peter said, as the trend has shifted from one $100 million spacecraft to $101 million spacecraft, the insurance industry has been a little bit slow to catch up. Because um, the existing underwriting methodologies that, you know, work when you're doing one deal a year don't work when you're doing 100 deals a year, obviously. And so as Munich Re is shifting from this kind of, you know, old space to new space, they are relying on us as the kind of the venture capital team and the tip of the spear You know, to find kind of innovative new companies, invest in them and then bring them into the fold, so to speak, and help our colleagues in, in Munich, you know, really understand what's around the corner, what's, you know, past the horizon in the space industry so that they could develop new products and, you know, new business models and, and new types of insurance to accommodate, you know, what's, what's on the horizon. And so in, in terms of the topics that we've been Focusing on with our in space economy thesis, it's essentially what what Peter just said. It's about one, you know, refueling and in general, sort of the infrastructure that would make the business model close, so to speak. So we invested in a company called OrbitFab. In fact, we led the seed round of OrbitFab in 2020 with kind of this idea that if a future space economy emerges refueling will need to be a key part of that, right? Like today, you know, when you purchase your car, you don't kind of drive it off the lot until it runs out of fuel and then dump it at the side of the road and go purchase a new car. The same, you know, concept applies with OrbitFab. We then expanded our thesis with uh, sort of the second big topic, which is space domain awareness, And there we invested in a company called Okapi Orbits, which is a space domain awareness slash, um, you know, space traffic management company, where again, we led the seed round. And, and here, you know, the idea is as you have more spacecraft in space and they're now being refueled and doing useful, you know, sort of services on each other. You need to have a way. You need to have some kind of highway traffic control, right? Um, as space gets more crowded, as you're trying to avoid the Kessler syndrome of sort of you know collisions setting off a chain reaction of collisions that ultimately pollute all of space. And so that was our second bet. And then finally, um, third, earlier this year, earlier in 2023, we led the Series A of Starfish Space, which is um, a company doing both mission extension in GEO, as well as debris removal in in LEO. And, and there, the idea is old space is not dead, right? GEO satellites are still incredibly important and incredibly relevant. And, and if anything, I think we're starting to see the pendulum maybe start to turn a little bit in, in the favor of, of GEO. And in that case, if you can extend the life of a twenty year asset to twenty five years or what have you, then there is you know tremendous economic benefit that you can create. and in fact, those you know those economic models can be sort of completely rewritten. And then on the Leo kind of debris removal side, this is a uh, you know I, I think there's still questions around the how the business model of debris removal will work, but ultimately, it's going to be critically important in Leo uh, to have, you know, a safe and clean, you know, highway that the SDA guys will then be able to help monitor.
2: If you kind of look back across where we've invested and how we've invested, we're, we're really looking at, you know, infrastructure and to use an overused term like platform plays in this sector. You know, we look at something like OrbitFab as, as kind of laying the groundwork. We look at something like an you know, Okapi orbits in the space domain awareness uh, sector as kind of providing a key piece of information and insight to these companies. And then when we looked at Starfish, it was the opportunity to have a platform for in-space servicing uh, that was really you know targeted towards uh, several different you know sectors and and parts of the space ecosystem. So I think I think when we think that's the other part of our investment thesis is you know it's the picks and shovels plays it's the 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 folks that are you know addressing a wide range of critical you know needs in the in the sector gets us really excited
0: that picks and shovels phrase in that fabulous piece that you published on medium which we'll make sure we link as well it really stuck in my mind cuz it does summarize it so well it made me wonder cuz we cover these incredible companies and I'm a big fan of what they're doing when we talk about what they're innovating a lot of it is looking towards the future when we're getting ready for when we need these services. and we're starting to use them now, but we're getting ready for it. What do we think is the timeline for something like this? because we're we're starting to get geared up for all these things. but what are we what are we actually realistically looking at for when we're going to really see these things go?
2: yeah, i don't I don't think we quite have a crystal ball on, on that part yet. but what what I think we're excited about is there's a lot of stuff happening, you know in the near term that can that's really moving us in this direction of, you know where we think we're going, which is this this world of us living. I think I think Jeff Bezos uses the phrase like living and working in space. And I think folks like you know Orbit Fab are looking to you know have have assets in space that they're uh, Starfish I think as well that they're you know looking at testing and working on and you know to provide key information to, to, to figure out how the next mission is going to go. I think with respect to the some of these elements like space domain awareness is is happening now. Right, we're looking at at you know tracking all this debris and all of these different. You know, items and and assets in space to understand how we're going to react when these you know scary moments that are uh, of impending collisions are starting to happen more and more frequently. I think you know we look at commercial partners as saying, hey, we're we're ready to kind of jump in and explore this in the next you know three to five years to at least get you know let's call it a demonstrator satellite up and and exploring how how these customers are ultimately going to interact with with the startups. I think one, you know, one example that we've seen, and it's it's not a in the startup space, but you know, Northrop Grumman launching and executing their their mission extension vehicle program was a good good like flag in the planting the flag in the ground, saying that we are kind of in this era of in space servicing, and it's it's now you know answering the question of commercial scale up and and getting this to be a repeatable, more regular activity. So I kind of rambled a little bit there, but you know, I think in summary you know there's there's a long term view that's you know it could be you know maybe decades before we're at like a steady state, everything you know existing in space like it is on the ground. but I think where we are now is is we're in that crucial proving ground of of how do we make sure that these these technologies are are the ones to to move us in that direction
3: and, and maybe just to add uh, one quick point um, you know we consciously i think avoided some You know, investment opportunities into companies that don't have these intermediate success points between now and the vision coming to fruition. Because there are all sorts of great ideas out there and excellent teams that are, you know, doing stuff that really won't have traction for a decade, right? Or, or longer. And obviously that's all really important and a key part of the in space economy. But we think that the infrastructure has to be built first. And on the infrastructure front, we are seeing incremental steps that are kind of leading us toward that promised land. And and we, you know, when we look at investment targets, we want to see those the pathway that you know that roadmap that incorporates those incremental steps.
0: We'll be right back after this quick break.
1: Imagine a world where you're always one step ahead of cyber threats, where your defenses are impenetrable because you see what others don't. Welcome to Team Cymru's Threat Intelligence Solutions. With real time access to the world's largest threat intelligence data ocean, they enable you to turn the tables on attackers, transform your security from reactive to proactive. ...through accelerated threat hunting and incident response, made possible through automation. Empower your team with visibility and insights to start defending your organization like never before. Team Cymru. Be the hunter, not the hunted. Learn more at team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. That's team-cymru.com slash cyberwire. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash cyber. That's aka.ms slash cyber.
0: So given that... You're looking at companies with a vision, with again those those milestones as you mentioned, and given that you're looking for those picks and shovels kinds of firms with with that kind of ambition, what kind of startups are you looking at? And maybe I should say, what kind of startups aren't you looking at? Like what what appeals to you when you're when you're going to look around at, at startups and you go, these folks have a clear path, and we really dig what they're doing, and you know th- we think that they're th- they've got something viable, or versus that th- they're not going to go the distance.
2: Yeah, I think I think with respect to what we're looking at, you know, it's it's companies with uh, you know teams that have been in and around this this industry for a bit. Whether that's in the academic setting, whether that's you know having worked at other startups or space companies, it's interesting. We're kind of in this you know second wave of of a space you know startup rush where you know probably two thousand fifteen to seventeen we had you know, the Planet Labs. The, you know, we had the acquisition of Skybox in, in 2013. We started to see the beginning of what was once not considered a venture investment at all, and now something where, you know, we're seeing the those entrepreneurs who came from other space startups taking what they've learned and bringing them to, you know, a new a new company. So I think, one, we're looking for teams that really know that the industry the sector well but who are also looking at things with with fresh eyes and figuring out okay here's here's the challenges of the last few years here's how we can innovate on on them you know as timor mentioned we like to see companies that have some sort of path towards you know initial commercialization or initial you know de-risking what i think we're we're a little bit more wary of is those companies that have really grand visions but You know, it's only going to be an all or nothing sort of outcome. And we're not going to know until their first major milestone that that may be five to ten years away. So I think that's that's a little bit where we where we stay away from. And I think what we also like to see is is companies that are, you know, going after sort of known or or understood pockets of demand in the in the space industry trying to create new markets especially when you need a lot of capital to do that is is a bit challenging so you know each of our investments has been in in a sector where folks are are really crying out for hey we we either don't have this or we want this but we want it better and i think that's that's really exciting I think where we typically stay away is is you know as as I previously mentioned, those those binary outcomes around you know whether there's capital here or not. And we also tend to wait tend to stay away from spaces where we see you know a ton of competition from other startups and from the incumbents. We like to look at those places where the incumbents are either not thinking or or viewing it as not you know core to their business.
3: Just to add maybe a quick thing to to Peter's wonderful response. I think. We want folks that have demonstrated a little bit of traction before we invest. So although we're happy to be seed investors, the way we say it is we don't like to fund science projects. so so we want to see technology that's you know at least somehow being taken out of the lab and sort of brought into more of a a startup or, or more of a commercial domain. So, using uh, Orbit Fab would be a great example. We're in they had demonstrated uh, fluid transfer on the International Space Station by refueling a water tank with their fueling port before we had invested. And so, you know, they had their fueling port in space doing fluid transfer. That's That's a great bit of progress that I think really demonstrates the viability of the technology. So that's one. We've seen the um, kind of the DOD and and sort of all the associated organizations and agencies play a really big role in the space for for obvious reasons and and that role is is you know if anything increasing as geopolitical kind of situations evolve but that having been said we really want to focus on companies that are commercial kind of first or dual use right so we we won't discount the military side of things and and obviously it's it's very important and the great way, especially early on, to get traction. But ultimately, we are focusing on folks that are targeting the commercial sector, and that's I, I think that's an important differentiation point. Um, and then maybe third, um, as as Peter was saying on the capital front, I I think we are keen on folks that are you know as capital efficient as one can get. Obviously, it's space we're building stuff. There are some software plays, but most things are hardware and it's expensive and it's complex. But I still think there are kind of different levels on that scale. You know, we, we are a little bit, I would say hesitant or, or reticent to go kind of the most, to go to the most capital intense side of that spectrum. And we want to see folks that have innovative business models and, and innovative ways to be if not capital light, at least capital media.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Given the fascinating context of MRV within the Munich Regroup, so we're talking not just insurance and venture capital and insurance together, risk is a big part of what you both are dealing with. So this is a philosophical question, admittedly. So what is your approach to risk?
2: I mean, I think risk is what makes this industry, this industry, right? It's not venture capital if there's not, risk and and uh, and things that are uncertain right otherwise we'd be putting our money in bonds what we want to do here is we want to go after companies that have an edge on that on that risk reward balance right where they can see okay we we understand the risks that are out there and here's why we as individuals as technology as you know a business model as, as builders of all these three things are uniquely positioned to gain more reward than, you know, the rest of the industry can from this, from this sector. So we're not, I, I would say we as investors are not afraid, you know, to take early stage risks. If we see something that, you know, really indicates this could work out really well or, or these folks really have an edge here. I think as Timur said, like, you know, we we wanna see somebody validating things from the outside. You know, this this science or technology risk isn't there, or, or is the science risk isn't something we wanna take. But but I think you know in this sector, there are real, there are a lot of really smart people that are really going after this idea of, you know, we're engineers, we've been engineers at this company or that company for a while. We think we know how to do this in a different way. We wanna take what we learned from other industries. And kind of merge them into this interdisciplinary approach to you know the space industry, and you know that's that's a way folks are getting around some of this early stage risk that exists in space. So you know it's exciting. It's it's also unavoidable. Um, and so when we make investments, we want to make sure that we we feel as good as we can about the risks we're taking on. I think what's tough, and what I think the insurance industry also hates, is this Id- like unquantifiable risk. Is risk that you know we can't we can't put a price on it. Therefore, we want to stay away from it.
3: And maybe just to add, in some cases, we think we can help kind of bend that um, risk curve a little bit, or the arc of that curve, and you know, offer some kind of advantage to our portfolio companies, and and then you know that can help support our investment as well, right? So, using space domain awareness as as kind of a low hanging fruit, one can you know envision a world wherein. If uh, a satellite operator uses an SDA platform to track their assets as well as everything else, then maybe kind of their insurance premiums or or the risk of their constellation is different than folks who don't use a space domain awareness platform, right? And and in that case, maybe you know pricing is a little different. Now I'm I'm saying this theoretically, but those I I think insurance is you know, often overlooked, but is, especially in the space world, interestingly, is an incredibly sort of important tool to help balance and transfer some of that risk. And so we feel like there are many opportunities where Munich Re, kind of the broader organization, including ourselves as the venture capital, but also all the underwriting capabilities and beyond, can kind of bend that arc of, of risk a little bit and create, you know, unfair outcomes in, in our favor, so to speak, in terms of the risk-reward balance.
0: Thank you both so much for joining me today. I really appreciate the time. And that's it for T-minus Deep Space for June 23rd, 2023. We'd love to know what you think of our podcast. You can always email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in our show notes. Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth, mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazis. Thanks for listening.